Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca. I want to welcome you back to the next episode of the Adapter's Advantage podcast. Today, my special guest is Mary Shea of Outreach. We've got a great conversation planned with you, but just to give you a little background on Mary before we jump in, uh, her current title is Global Innovation Evangelist at Outreach. And Mary's very well known throughout the whole technology world uh, previously from her role as a principal analyst at Forrester, where she really has helped to define a big part of the way the world thinks about markets like sales enablement. So we're gonna have a wide ranging discussion here. We've got a lot to uh, to get to. So I'm gonna jump right in. Mary, welcome to the podcast. And I wanna start off with the first question, which is when people ask you, what do you do now that you are at Outreach? How do you answer that question? You know, my role at Outreach is really not markedly dissimilar from what I did at Forrester. So like you mentioned, I am actively following uh, the future of selling and buying in the business context. I am, you know, keeping my nose to the grindstone on everything that's happening from a sales technology perspective. Certainly I do wear the Outreach jersey, so I'm helping to educate the market, to support our sales team. But by and large, the, what I do with my time is really conduct um, primary research that's going to be what I hope is provocative in nature and spark conversations that go-to-market leaders of all shapes and sizes um, need to hear. And so I'm uh, continuously doing, doing studies and writing and talking to the market about the future of sales, uh, the role of the seller, how technology is going to augment that experience for both the seller and the buyer. And then part of my platform also really looks at diversity, equity, inclusion, which is something that's important to me. I'm exec sponsor of our Rainbow ERG at Outreach and um, do a lot of research that really looks at how do we provide um, more equity in the B2B sales organization, looking at um, um, gen gender equity as well as uh, people of color. Well, Mary, it's, it's so great just to, to have this conversation because there's so much ground for us to cover, um, even in, in the way you just described it. But for our listeners, I want to go ahead and just go one click deeper uh, just to explain what outreach does, because I know in this fast moving market that we're all in, sometimes the reality of what companies do uh, versus the perception of what they might have done as recently as a year or two years ago evolved. So let's just anchor everybody. What does outreach.io do? Yeah, that's a great question. And the pace of change within the sales technology marketplace is so incredibly fast. I uh, wrote the first wave on sales engagement and uh, that was published in October of 2020. And I really kind of defined the category. So outreach at that time was a sales engagement company and um, what our technology did was help sellers of all shapes and sizes manage their omni-channel interactions across the entire revenue cycle. Now, there is a real bias when people think of sales engagement, they're always thinking of high velocity front of the cycle reps, but the reality is 
today, we're all inside reps, right? And as we move forward, I think we're going to find ourselves in a hyper hybrid environment. You've got uh, massive uh, demographic shifts. Millennials are more than half the global workforce. Those folks are very comfortable using technology for efficiency and feel like what we're doing today, we're having an authentic connection, right? I mean, I could come down to Boston and we could do this in person, but this is a lot more efficient and I don't feel any less connected to you as a person than professional. So, um, that really is uh, what we did you know, back in, in, in October 2020, and now we are expanding the way we're thinking about the category, and we've been in, expanded to call the category engagement and intelligence. So if you think about the sales technology landscape, you've got RevOps, Rev Intelligence, and sales engagement. And when I wrote the sales tech tide early in 2021, still as a Forrester analyst this year, we really were hinting at the fact that there was category creep, right? There was bleed over amongst yeah. a number of different categories um, where you, and, and you could see this even in your category, right? So you all bought uh, acquired refract, right? And that right. is its own category, uh, conversation intelligence. And now it's part of uh, your readiness platform. Well, we also have conversation intelligence that's part of our platform. And so um, then there's other companies like Clary or Gong or um, Aviso or Boostup or, you know, all these other companies. And you've seen, if you're not asleep, that everyone's talking about revenue, uh, you know, revenue intelligence. And so we just recently acquired a company called Canopy out of Indianapolis. And now that uh, company will be embedded uh, into our platform and our platform is so much bigger and more robust than just sort of helping um, SDRs manage their outbound that we are uh, really helping all types of members of the revenue team manage their omni-channel cadences. We're helping them to increase the effectiveness of their conversations with customers and prospects through Kaya, our uh, real-time virtual assistant or conversation intelligence tool. Mm -hmm. We're helping provide sentiment analysis. So you have an engagement with a customer or prospect over email. It's not enough just to look at open rates. You need to understand, you know, are they open to continuing the conversation to better understand if there's real opportunity there. And then we have uh, a mutual action plan that sits on a collaboration hub within our platform that helps buying groups and selling groups collaborate. And when you think about how important that is today, the average in an enterprise sale, the average number of buyers in that sale are 11, according to Gartner, and could go up to 22, you know, depending on the complexity of the sales motion. Well, on the sell side, then you need all these experts to balance the title and expertise that all these folks on the buy side have. So it's you know, it, it's hard to keep this unruly group together. So we've got that to help um, sellers bring the deal over, you know, sort of the last yard of the line. And what's super exciting about all of this is that we're extracting all this human behavioral data and rolling it up to our platform and to whatever the CRM or system of record is that our customer uses. And that data is then feeling tremendous insights that every member of the revenue team can get the benefit from as they go to market. So that was a long answer. I hope, I hope yeah, that's no. okay. But it's much more than just high velocity uh, engagement. Hopefully, your your listeners will, will grasp that. Why is it important that revenue leaders over-index on data versus just intuition? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, because they can, right? And back when I was a revenue leader, we couldn't. We had to use the art of it because we didn't have access to the data. You know, yeah. I was using Siebel or rudimentary versions of, of Salesforce. And we all know that reps actually don't 
add stuff into their CRM. So there's all this, you know, lack of visibility. Well, now we have so many different systems and tools that do provide organizations with rich data. The challenge is um, bringing that data set into sort of a single view of the customer, right? Which is why you're, you're starting to see CDPs and data lakes and all kinds of different types of platforms that are taking um, the data um, to the next level. But the bottom line is if, if, if today's buyer is so sophisticated or so self-sufficient, we've been talking about this, Mark, you and I for a long time. Sure. Um, you know, they've been trained by their interactions on all of these consumer facing marketplaces. Now, um, the millennials are not just surfacing the lists and um, making initial recommendations. They're um, C-suite execs who are signing contracts. And the reality is that if you're not delivering a hyper personalized experience to these buyers, uh, they will drop you like nobody's business and go on to the next buy. And they now have the ability to do a lot of the self-discovery on their own. And what I find is that in an enterprise business purchase, they do very much want to value that rep, but they're not going to put up with it if they're not having personalized interactions, if they're not um, deriving value from that um, experience. So we're starting to see in the research that I do, you know, people want to see reps be able to have um, very strong industry expertise to be able to run a TCO or ROI a conversation real time to um, be able to extract insights from how the customer is utilizing their platform or tool and come back with rich recommendations, right? And so if you're not um, using data to inform not only your customer conversations, but your next action. And that thinking about your solution, it could be a coaching action, right? So right. you're, you, you have seven direct reports, you're looking through um, your analytics that you got from a Lego and you're, you know, immediately in two to three minutes, the type of conversation that you need to have with each rep. And that's the same thing with we, I mentioned that we acquired this company called Canopy, which is a revenue ops and intelligence company. I've seen that platform in, in operation and you look at all the signals that it pulls from the revenue um, conversation and immediately it forms management on you know, sort of what to do next. Now, you're not going to be a bot and just automatically do what the AI, AI tells sure, you. Sure. You're going to overlay your own lens and your experience, your expertise, and you're going to make some decisions. And so you know, I think it was Forrester in one of their articles said, look, if you're not leveraging data, you're going to put your whole organization at a competitive disadvantage. So let's switch gears here because I purposely didn't mention in the intro, one of the most unique parts about you. Um, and that is that prior to being uh, an analyst and prior to being uh, running a sales team and organization yourself, um, you were in the music business, if you will. So can you just briefly talk about how did you go from uh, playing the oboe for places like the New England Conservatory to ultimately um, getting a PhD in music? And, and uh, what was the pivot to move from that world to the world you're in now? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it, it, it's interesting. I, I, I was a, a musician and um, a, a card-carrying member of the Boston uh, Local Musicians Union. And um, I was an oboe player since I was 12 years old. So it was pretty much my whole life for my, uh, my uh, childhood and young adult life. I loved uh, music and I played in the Greater Boston Youth Symphony Orchestra. And 
um, as you mentioned, I, I was um, getting my graduate degree at New England Conservatory, and I had the opportunity to play under your co-author, Ben Zander. So I was so happy to see um, him pop up on my, uh, uh, on my radar again. He's an absolutely brilliant, uh, brilliant musician and, and a wonderful person. So, you know, it's a massive pivot, but when you, you dig around a little bit um, in the technology world and even in the business world, you find a lot of people who have PhDs or uh, certainly there's a, some good analogs, I think, between the way you think as a musician and math and science and technology. And so um, the pivot happened over time. I um, was finishing my PhD. I was teaching in the Boston area at a small liberal arts college. I was gigging uh, around the city. And this thing called the internet started to pop up and I got really interested and excited about it. And I had a sense that this was just gonna transform the way we lived and worked and communicated with each other. And then simultaneously, I felt one that I accomplished pretty much everything I was going to accomplish as a musician for given the talent that I had as an individual. I could live my dream mark. I traveled all over the world. I played. I. I made a living as a musician. And I also felt that I wanted a bigger playing field for my career. And I was selling Hondas at Herb Chambers Honda BMW. And I actually sold a car to a, a Forrester analyst. And then I- Oh man, really? They were all, they were all really, they were doing quite well financially. And um, then that person sent in another person and another person for Forrester. And then one thing led to another and they recruited me to come at, to the company. And I think I was- Oh, wait, so Mary, hold on. I just got to pause for a second because I have to just reconcile this for a minute. I mean, like, <laughs> you, are, you are like the complete antithesis of the, 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 you know, the negative stereotype of the classic car salesperson, right? And, and so, so now I'm just imagining you having played with the Philharmonic in Mexico City, a PhD. Now you're at Herb Chambers. And everything you just said a moment ago about building a brand, it sounds like you had done that because the people at Forrester not only said, if you're going to buy a Honda, you got to come see Mary. <laughs> but then beyond that, they said, in fact, we got to get her to come to us. That's exactly what happened. And wow. um, it was crazy. My buddy, James Bulger, he uh, is also an oboe player and he was a player. He played with the Boston Symphony and he knows Ben as well. Um, was selling as well because we had to supplement our, our income. We were making like 30 grand a year, Mark. And um, so anyway, I ended up going into Forrester. I think I was employee number 90. I was SDR, finishing my PhD at uh, 35 and making cold calls. And um, the rest is history. It was just, it just ended up being, you know, an amazing fit for me. And I have to credit Forrester for giving me a chance when I had like no background. I had no business getting hired. And there were many, many wonderful people who mentored me and helped me um, through the transition. And I never looked back. I, you know, it's been an amazing career. Mary, that is, I did not know that part of the story. So, and I did my homework before, but I couldn't find that one. So folks, you're not going to hear that anywhere else, but where you just heard it. And what's so, there's so much embedded in that for every SDR, for every inside salesperson, for every enterprise, whatever, whatever part of the role you're in. One of the key elements that you've just described that's super meaningful to me was the humility of being willing to be 35 years old, having already been at the top of your game in another industry, if you will. And the humility to say, listen, I'm starting over again. I'm at Forrester with a bunch of really smart people as well. And I'm going to start off on the phone making outbound calls. And now 
um, what what year was that that that, that, um, that happened? I think that was like 1996 is when I started, if I remember correctly. And um, it was really hard, Mark. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you because, like, like you said, like I, you know, I go to the concert hall on Friday night, and you know, everyone is it people knew me in the city and right. you were dressed up and you want to take you out after. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm getting into work and putting on the headset and my calls are tracked. My emails are tracked and, you know, I'm cr- trying to grind it out. And um, it was tough. It was really tough. And that's where I think, you know, the relationships that you have and the people, you know, being able to talk to someone after a tough call and, you know, build each other up and that kind of thing is really, really important, but it wasn't easy. And, um, it was back in the day and it was really cool. I mean, I, and I, I would cold call people like Scott McNeely and I, I mean, it was just crazy. Wow. <laughs> um, so you were selling Forrester's services selling Forrester stuff. And, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of interesting people out there. I'm, eventually I got through to them, not usually on the first try. So let me pivot to just a couple more questions. Um, if we come back to the world of sales leaders who are using technology, uh, whether it's outreach, a Lego, or, or so many of the other uh, items that they're, they're using in the tech stack, what do you think is the most important th- thing that sales leaders need, leaders need to stop doing um, to help their teams adapt as we move forward here in the post-pandemic era? I think the number one thing would be, you know, if you want to get more revenue or you find yourself in a revenue hole, don't think about solving it by throwing more sales bodies at it. You know, when I was ahead of sales, it was like every time I needed another million dollars, I'd go into the CFO's office, I get sign off, I get another headcount, right? Or maybe I get two or three because I knew, you know, one or two was going to fail. And then I, you know, you, you plan all kinds of games. And I think today's world, Mark, is so much more sophisticated. And I've, I just completed a study with Forrester Consulting. We went out and we surveyed 200 sales leaders across the UK and North America. And I wanted to get to the heart of what they're worrying about, how they're making their plans, how they feel about their own skill set, and some of the changes that are happening there, as well as their first line managers, second line managers and reps. And what I found was they get that their role is really, really changing. Um, so number one, I would say, you know, don't immediately think you're going to go out and hire another person and that's going to solve your problem today to drive uh, efficient, predictable growth. You're going to need to have an amalgamation of the right technology tools, the right strategies, new methods and talent that you are continuously reskilling and upskilling. And so it's a bit of a more sophisticated uh, thought process than look, we got to get, you know, another two bodies. We know that one's going to fail. And then we get this one. And that's just not the way of the world. So I think that's one thing. And then I think the other thing is that, you know, as you start, you start to think about their role, I think they should stop doing some of the things that have been so associated with head of sales, like, you know, expecting that they're going to get to quota by, um, simply enlisting and inspiring and engaging their team or having strong people skills or strong commercial skills. These folks need to start developing their financial acumen. They need to um, improve their forecasting. They need to start to lean into the science more than the art. So I would also say, in addition to not thinking a headcount's gonna solve all your problems, I would say, start to over-index a little bit towards the science and let go of just sort of that instinctual um, gut level decision-making and start to rely on data-driven decision-making. So, so uh, I have two, two final questions. 
based on your experience, what do you think is the most important skill in particular that young people, and, and when I say that, I, I also mean newer people like you at age 35 who come into the tech business, what do you think is the most important skill um, that they should learn or improve today? Yeah, well, I actually, I have my own opinion and I also asked a bunch of CROs. And so the number one um, skill attribute CROs were looking for was data literacy and technology savviness. And that uh, came ahead of um, uh, great relationship building skills, which came in number two. So wow. I think it's sort of interesting. Um, like, I, I think the memo has been received now because I was so excited to see that people are finally getting it in leadership and revenue leadership that, you know, without tech data and insights, you're going to die on the vine. Um, yeah. And that doesn't mean that relationship building skills don't matter because relationships are so crucial to this industry. You've talked about the uh, financial, financial advisor network, and I'm, I'm going to leave you just one little interesting tidbit here. My financial advisors, I've had them for, I guess, 20 plus years. And do you know how I found them? A referral? I sold them. Two of them, Hondas. Oh my gosh. Man, that is, that's and then so awesome. They turned around and got me as their client. And, and I, again, like I was not making a lot of money at the time, but they had the foresight. You know, they were building their business. They were young folks. Um, one was yeah. out of Yale, another, I don't remember where he came from. He got his car stolen, then he came back and bought another one. So I sold them three cars. And um, I'm not going to let you know what I have under under management, but uh, I'm going to say it all worked out really well. For I mean, it, worked, it worked out for <laughs> everybody. So, Mary, so that's a great. That's what I'm saying. It's all, you know, it, this data and tech it, it is so important and you can't survive without it. But I just want to amplify the relationship piece because it's been so important in my professional career. And I, I don't think that changes. What do you think in the, wor in the uh, diversity, equity, inclusion work that you've been doing, what do you think is the most important thing we can do to make young women in particular uh, know that they're welcome and they're uh, valued in this space? Well, first of all, thank you for asking the question and you know, bringing up topics like this in um, the platform that you have is a really great way to continue to foster um, more equity within the B2B sales organization. There's a number of different things and I wrote a really deep paper for uh, the Journal of Selling um, published by University of Northern Illinois, if anyone's interested. And um, I wrote the paper with 10 to 12 other Forrester analysts and people were just very passionate about the topic. So it was a state of, uh, of gender diversity in B2B sales. There's a lot of different things. I mean, I think the thing is, is number one, it kind of starts with um, setting the tone at the top, right? So making it known that we want to have a sales force that's reflective of our customer base and society at large. And hearing that from the C-suite is really important. Um, it starts at looking at your board and your executive team and ensuring that you do have, um, again, faces that are representative of what the world at large looks like and what your customer base looks like. Then you need to start to think about how do we create job descriptions that are very inclusive versus exclusive. So an example of exclusive would be on the requirements. We require 10 years of SaaS sale. Okay, well, that pretty much, you know, 
limits. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that would have shut you out at Honda too if they had said yeah, exactly. five years so, of car experience, right? And then when you actually have the interview process, you want to make sure that you're providing access and visibility to people of different, you know, different backgrounds, whether that's gender or cultural, ethnicity, whatever. Um, so there's a there's a there's a lot to do there. The, the other thing I will say is for your female listeners or managers who have females who report to them, um, don't really read that job description so carefully. And it, you know, women tend to only apply for jobs if they have 100% of the qualifications or the requirements. Whereas an analog, uh, a, a male counterpart will be like, "Hey, I've got 40% of it." You know. I, they'd be lucky to freaking have me, right? <laughs> I mean, and what's the worst thing that doesn't, if I don't get it, then whatever, I'm just on to the next one, right? But women are like, oh no, I, I don't, nope, I only have seven out of 10. So I'm just telling the ladies, the folks that identify as female in your, in your audience, um, even if you have like 30% of the qualifications you're interested, put yourself out there. Ask your boss for a raise before you even deserve one, because you know what? Your male counterparts are doing that already. If people want to learn more about outreach or they want to be able to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do this? Yeah, super accessible. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Direct message is really great. I'm really fast there. Um, I'm also on Twitter and my .io uh, address, which you're welcome to include um, in the program notes as well. I'll share that. Perfect. Well, Mary, it's. Uh, I just want you to know I am. Um, I'm so glad to know that uh, you were willing to adapt in the context of your uh, having kind of reached the pinnacle in the in the uh, musical world, um, that you are willing to have the humility to start over. Who knew that the Honda dealership could turn out to bring so many great things for you? And, and how much uh, literally you have been helpful to us um, thinking, helping us build a framework to think about our market ourselves, and to be able to help communicate that framework to the, the world of buyers who was also trying to figure it out. So you've made a huge difference in so many um, businesses and people like ours. So I just wanna say thank you. And uh, I look forward to continuing our conversation. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.